All right, we've been sharing out of the book of Romans nearly exclusively during this deal. And we started, let me just go back and read a couple of verses. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 17, it says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. Notice you need grace and righteousness. God's grace has come to everybody. And if you got born again and received it, you have been made righteous, but you've got to understand that. So you have to receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. In verse 21, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. If you don't understand your right standing with God, which is just a real simple interpretation of what the word righteousness means, then grace will not reign in your life. It won't dominate. It won't control you. And this is where I think that a lot of people are living. They believe God can do anything, but they don't believe that he has done it yet. They don't know what is true on the inside. They are seeing themselves on the outside with their failures and stuff. And they think that that's who they are. And they don't have a concept of who they are in Christ Jesus. And because of that, grace isn't reigning in their life. So I spent uh, two sessions, I believe, dealing with that. And then in Romans chapter 6, we spent two sessions dealing with uh, what he goes on to say about if this is true, that it's all the grace of God. And if you've already had your sins forgiven, and if you've got a new nature, and if you're in right standing with God, then does it mean that your actions in the physical realm are unimportant? That's what he's saying. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And the answer to this is an absolute unqualified negative. No, that's not what he's saying. But the church has basically said the reason you live holy is to earn God's favor and blessing. And if you don't live holy, God won't answer your prayers. God won't use you. God won't bless you. God will take his joy away. And people blame God for the one that's turning off the spigot. And that's the reason you don't feel joy. And that's the reason you don't feel the love of God is because God is upset with you and he's withdrawn his fellowship. That's basically what the church teaches nearly universally, and that is not so. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never get tired of you. He does not deal with you based on your performance. God loves you, and there's not a thing you can do about it. Amen. Amen. You can't make him love you more, and you can't make him love you less. Man, that's good news. But that begs the question, well, then can I just go live in sin? If you do, it's because you don't understand what's happened. First of all, he says that when you got born again, you died to sin. That doesn't mean it's impossible for you to commit an action of sin, but you are dead to that sin nature, that sin nature that was inside of you, that Ephesians chapter one calls the nature of the devil, it died it's gone. You do not have a sin nature. You do not have a part of you that is part devil. Before you got born again, every person was part devil. People don't like to hear that, but that, you know, I've referred to this at least four or five times. Let me just turn over here and read this real quickly. And I'm going to come right back. Maybe. 
Ephesians chapter two, it says in verse one, and you hath he quickened. The word quickened means made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. People don't like to hear this, but you know what? There is a spirit at work in people who are not born again, and it is the prince of the power of the air that's talking about the devil. The Bible also talks about that there's a spirit of Antichrist. And did you know most people don't like this, but there is a spirit of Antichrist that is work in this world. People don't curse Buddha. People don't swear by a Hare Krishna, Hare Alam. People don't invoke the name of Muhammad. You know why? Because there's no power in any of those names. But I guarantee you, people blaspheme God and they swear by Jesus and they say things and there is a demonic attack against God. In this nation today, you can be any kind of weirdness and pervert that you want to be. And if anybody says anything about it, they call you some kind of a homophobe or a uh, hater or whatever, and they persecute you. They, they don't persecute people who are into sin and who are doing things wrong. Even if you murder somebody, they try and figure out what it was in your background that abused you and made you this way. But you stand up and say that I'm for a godly marriage and I'm for morality and you will be persecuted. There is a spirit of antichrist. And people just, they think, why is it that Christians are the only people that it's game to come out against? It's because there's a demonic spirit at work in our world. And many of us don't even recognize it. We watch it and we pay money to have that pumped into our house every day. But it is a spirit of antichrist. There is a spirit at work in the children of disobedience. And then in verse three, among whom we also had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Before you get born again, you have a spirit that is separated from God. In Genesis chapter three, or you could even go back to chapter two, verse 16, the Lord told Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because in the day you eat of it, in the day you eat of it, you will die. They ate of that tree in Genesis chapter three, verse six, and they didn't die that exact day physically. It was 930 years before Adam died. So how do you reconcile these? There's a couple of ways to do it, but one of the simple explanations is that they did die at that exact moment in their spirit man. The word death in the Bible, we, we take it as dead means the end. It's over. You cease to exist. But there is no such thing as death in that sense. People who die do not cease to exist. Their body may go into the ground and decay, but the scripture says in James chapter 2, verse 26, that their spirit is immediately taken either unto God or into a Christless eternity. Nobody escapes. There is no such thing as ceasing to exist. You just either leave your body and go to heaven or you go to hell, but you still exist. What happens is the word death in the Bible really means separation. Adam and Eve were separated at the moment they sinned and rebelled at God. 
the life that he had breathed into them, it ceased to give the godly influence and the godly life to them that God intended it to have. And they became by nature a child of the devil at the moment that they sinned and they had a sin nature and they reproduced every person that's ever been born on the face of the earth was born with a sin nature. And so they were separated from God. Their nature still functioned. It was still alive, but it was functioning now under the influence of the devil instead of being under the influence of God. And so sin was reigning. The sin nature was reigning unto death. And regardless of how much you tried to overcome it, all you could ever do was have behavior modification. You might be able to restrain some of the things, but the lust was still there. And Jesus revealed that in your heart, even if you don't commit the action, you're still guilty if you lust in your heart. Your nature was still there and you were still corrupt. You might have restrained the outward manifestation of it, but there was still this sin on a heart level. And so all of us were by nature a child of wrath. But when you get born again, Romans chapter six was saying that you are dead to that, that you are now separated from that nature. That old sin nature is not in you anymore. Once you get born again, you now have the nature of God placed on the inside of you. So why then do I still seem like it's easier to sin than it is to live holy? Why is it easier to get mad than it is to walk in love? Why is it harder to turn the other cheek than it is to just hit them? (laughs) It's because your old man spent decades training you how to think and how to be selfish and how to do all of these things and put yourself ahead of everybody else. And you aren't dealing now with the old man. There isn't a nature that compels you to live in sin. You have just been taught wrong. And the Bible says, Proverbs 23, 7, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The way you think is the way you are going to act. You you can deviate a tiny bit, but your life will go the direction of your dominant thought. And if you have been taught wrong and taught to think that if I don't take care of myself, nobody else will. That's going to make you a paranoid person. It's going to make you insecure. It'll make you stab others in the back instead of turning the other cheek and doing the right thing. And if you have that mindset, if that's your philosophy, then it leads to death. And you will experience death and all of these problems, even though you no longer are compelled to live that way. It's because you haven't renewed your mind. So the most important thing that a Christian can do once you're born again is stick your nose in the Bible and study it until you learn how God thinks and what God's values are. And you learn to respond and value what God values. And when you change your mind, it's a simple majority. You got three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is perfect. Your spirit is identical to Jesus. It has the mind of Christ. It has love, joy, and peace, and all of these things. Your spirit is perfect. And all you got to do is get your mind in agreement with your spirit, and that's two against one. And your body will experience healing. It'll begin to experience prosperity. It'll begin to experience joy and peace and happiness. And you'll find out that it just automatically, as a man thinks in his heart, that's the way he'll be. 
Your spirit is identical to Jesus, has his power. You get your mind in agreement and it will just flow. But you get your mind crossways and over here operating in the flesh and saying, well, I don't care what Andrew says or what the Bible says. The doctor says I'm sick. I feel sick and I'm not going to go by this faith stuff. And you just go by how you feel. And you know what? You can shut off the power in the life of God that is in your spirit, man, and not one drop will get out into your physical body. If you could imagine this pipe up above my head and you know, over here is the spirit and all of the life and the healing and the deliverance and the joy and the peace and the power and anointing and everything that God has purchased. But your mind is like a valve and you can literally turn your mind and get it crossways to what God says about the spirit. And you can shut off the flow of that spirit so that not one drop comes out. You can have the same power on the inside of you that raised Jesus Christ from the dead inches away from a cancer. And it never touched that cancer because it doesn't get through your mind. Your mind is thinking, but the doctor says, and I feel this, and I saw this person die, and I saw a documentary on television that said that this is what happens when that happens to you. And if that's the way that you think, as you think in your heart, that's the way that you will be. You can have the life of God on the inside of you and not experience one drop. Just exactly the same as a person could be dying of thirst and sitting right next to the kitchen sink that has all of this water in that pipe. And if they don't know how to turn that valve and to get that water released out of that pipe, they could die of thirst being right next to water, just inches away on the other side of the wall. This is what's happening to Christians. And Christians don't know what God has given us. And so we just spend the whole time, oh God, heal me. God, heal me. God, would you please stretch forth your mighty hand and touch me if it be your will for Jesus' sake, amen. That's a sorry prayer. What you gotta do is understand, Father, thank you that you've already healed me. First Peter 2, 24, by your stripes, I was healed. I have this healing power on the inside of me. How do I get it out? How do I turn that valve and release it? Well, it says in Philemon chapter one, verse six, that the communication of your faith, the word communication means the transfer or the releasal. Is that a word? Release. The transfer or the releasing of this power comes by acknowledging every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. So the very first step is you can't turn on something. You won't be motivated to try and release something if you don't believe that you have it. You first of all have to find out what you've got and you aren't going to find it in the mirror. You can't see it in your physical realm and you can't feel it by your emotions. People think if man, if God was here, I'd feel it. That's not so. There are so many places in scripture that Jesus was walking with the two disciples after the resurrection morning and they were sad because Jesus had died and he was standing right there with them and they didn't know him. They were looking at him and didn't recognize him. He was talking to them and they missed it. You have to perceive Jesus by faith. You cannot feel him. You can't just go by how you feel. You have to go by what the word of God says. And it's wrong thinking to think if I was healed, I'd know it. No, the only way you know it is by what the word of God says and you just believe it. So you first of all have to know what you have. 
That's righteousness. And righteousness will allow grace to reign through righteousness unto eternal life. So you have to know what you have before you will ever be motivated to do anything with it. Most people don't believe they have very much. They believe God has a lot and they ask him and they beg him. But if they don't feel something immediately or see a difference, well, then they think, I don't know why God hasn't moved. God's already moved. You'll hear people say faith moves God. Faith doesn't move God. God's already moved. God's not stuck. He's not the one that needs to move. God has already moved. You've already got everything in your spirit. You don't need God to heal you. What you need is to find out what you've got and how to release what you've got and how to speak it. This is big what I'm saying. It's huge. If you really believed that you had the supernatural power of God, even if you didn't know how to release it, if you didn't know, and there's a lot of things in the scripture about how you release the power of God. But if you didn't know how to release it, if you believed without any shadow of a doubt that I've got the same power on the inside of me that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, I guarantee you that would provide you with so much motivation, you wouldn't quit until you figured it out. But most people just... Oh God, heal me. And if it doesn't work well, you weren't surprised in the first place. You kind of expected that and you just give up quickly. It's like if somebody told you that you had a million dollars buried in your backyard. You know what? Most of you would say, I don't have a million. And they said, oh yeah, you do. And you know what? If they planted the seed, some of you might go out there and dig a little bit and look for it. But you know, after a while, you'd get tired and you say, I don't believe there's a million dollars. You'd quit. But if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that you had a million dollars, I guarantee you, you would be digging. (laughs) And if you had a big old shovel, you know, one of these big old machines that could dig up the whole backyard, then you could get it quicker. But if all you had was a toothpick or a spoon, you could eventually get it if you didn't quit. If you don't have a lot of tools, you'd still be motivated. You know, a blind squirrel will get a nut every once in a while if he doesn't quit. (laughs) And if you really knew that you were the righteousness of God and you had these things, you would not put up with being sick. You wouldn't just roll over and say, well, I'm getting older. And well, after all this does, I can still get around and I can live with it. No, if you really believed and knew who you were and what you have, I guarantee you you would not live a substandard life where you just allow sickness and poverty and depression. You don't have to live that way. The reason people are living that way is because they think that this is humble and they're actually afraid to start lifting their goals and believing for a lot because they might be disappointed. They would rather just settle down and struggle through life and not exert themselves and not be disappointed. I'd rather shoot at the stars and if I miss hit the moon than shoot at nothing and hit it every time. People think, well, it's just, it's so much effort. It's so hard to receive from God. It's not hard. It's hard to receive from God with an unrenewed mind. It's hard to receive from God thinking like the devil, thinking like the world thinks. But you think spiritually minded and all it'll produce is life and peace. God's not straightened. He's not not hard pressed to come up with things. I talked to two or three people tonight who told me that they had cancer and they were just they were overwhelmed. You could hear the sadness and the worry and the fear in their voice. And I just looked at them and I said, it's no big deal. 
doesn't take any more power of God to heal cancer than it takes to heal a cold. If you remember Hannah's testimony, I told them, I said, it's a piece of cake for Jesus. And man, it's just like somebody slapped them like all of a sudden, man, it's no big deal. Jesus can handle Hannah. He can get her healed. Nothing is hard with God. I had a man come to me one time and he wanted prayer. And he says, I had an accident and I hurt my back and my spine is hurting. He talked about his hips. He had a sciatic problem and went into his foot. He had neuropathy and he just went through dozens of things from head to foot and listed all of these problems. And I was listening to him and he says, but if God could just heal my neck, I could live with the rest of it. And I told him, I said, well, I understand. I said, if we were to ask God to heal all of these things at one time, I mean, the lights in heaven might dim. I'm not sure that God has the power to pull this off. Let's not impose on him and ask him for more than what, let's just ask for your neck. This guy looked at me and says, that's pretty stupid, wasn't it? I said, it was real stupid. But we just get to thinking that God is so hard pressed. Man, God has already put the same power on the inside of each one of us that raised Jesus from the dead. It is not hard to see a dead person raised. I've seen three people raised from the dead. I know at least 38 people who have raised other people from the dead. I knew one man who raised eight people from the dead, two in one service. Did you know in all of the Bible, there's a total of eight people raised from the dead in all of the Bible. Now there's, it says that after the resurrection of Jesus, many saints came out of the graves and walked around in the city of Jerusalem. And we don't know how many of those were, but specific instances, there were eight people. I know over 38, probably more than that. Now I quit counting a long time ago. I know at least four are five times as many people personally raised from the dead as recorded in all of scripture over nearly 6,000 years of time. Did you know that God is moving? Miracles are happening. We've had great miracles happen. We had people I was praying for last night. They were able to walk and people started clapping and praising God. We've seen all kinds of miracles happen. God is not struggling to do anything. The reason we don't see more manifestation of God is because we don't believe that we have it. And instead we are asking God to do what he told us to do. He told you to go heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. He didn't tell you to pray that he would do it. I know some of you are like, I can't believe you're saying it. Who do you think you are? Well, without Jesus, I'm nobody, but I'm not without Jesus. Jesus never leaves me nor forsakes me. And he has given me his power. And I have the power on the inside of me to raise the dead and to open up blind eyes. It's not according to me. It's not based on any goodness of my own, but God put that power on the inside of me and see, until I quit asking him, Oh God, would you please touch this person and heal? That's a chicken prayer. Anybody can pray that kind of prayer. 
Anybody can say, oh God, we are nothing. We have nothing. We could do nothing. Oh God, we're no, we just ask you, would you please move all? And you cry and wail and oh God, move and oh God. Anybody can pray that kind of prayer. A lost man can pay, pray that kind of prayer. But you know what? It takes faith to say, Father, thank you that you have done your job and you have given me this power. And now I know who I am and this grace is going to reign through my right standing. You have given me power and authority. And so I speak to this thing and you talk to that problem and you command that problem to get out of your way. You command the devil to stop. You know what? That's a different type of prayer. That puts you on the spot. And there's most people won't pray that. But that's what the Lord told us to do. He didn't tell us to pray for the sick. There's instances of people praying for the sick, but he never told you to pray for the sick. He told you to heal the sick. It's two different things. You know, this man, John G. Lake ministered in uh, Spokane and he saw, there was two hospitals in the town and he saw so many people healed that they closed one of the hospitals and declared Spokane the most healthy city in America for decades because of his ministry. And he had people that were disciples. He called them practitioners. He taught them how to go out and heal the sick, not to pray and beg God for doing it. But he taught them their righteous position, that they had the power and the authority. And people would call and ask for help. And he would send his people out, practitioners, with a bottle of oil. And he said, don't come back till they're healed. And they would literally move in with the person and stay with that person and pray until the person got well. And the longest anybody was ever gone was three weeks. But they saw every person they prayed for healed of cancer, of blindness, deafness, anything. We have that power and authority. And yet there's not one out of a thousand Christians that would take that approach. What they do is God... Would you please do something pretty please? We beg, we get pitiful and, and we try and tell him how bad the situation is. God, the doctors, we, as if God doesn't know. And we got to tell him and show him the doctor's report to let him know. We know that he's got a lot of requests coming across his death. And this one's got to get to the top of the pile. So we tell him how bad it is. And that's what most people call prayer. That's not prayer. It's begging. It's complaining. It's griping. Prayer is when you stand there and praise him for what he's done, thank him. And then you take your authority and you begin to speak and you resist the devil and he'll flee from you. If the devil hadn't fled from you, it's because you didn't resist him. Amen. Again, people don't like this kind of preaching because it's putting responsibility on you. And it's so much easier to just throw your prayer out there and then go watch as the stomach turns on television and be a couch potato and quesera, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. If it's God's will, I'll be healed. And if they die, well, it must've been God's will. No, it wasn't God's will. Amen. I got way off the subject, but really not, not really. Let's turn over to Mark chapter 11. Let me show you this attitude that I'm talking about right here. You know, that's one of the great things about not having notes and I've got to do something. I really didn't have a lot planned. (laughs) And so whatever I feel God speaking through me, I'm free to go that way. Amen. (laughs) Didn't ruin my notes. (laughs) 
In Mark chapter 11 is where Jesus was coming into the city of Jerusalem. This is the very last week of his life here on earth. And he was walking into Jerusalem and he got hungry. It says in Mark chapter 11, verse 12, and on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to the, to, and found nothing but leaves for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. So here's Jesus. He's hungry. He sees a fig tree. It has leaves. You know, I didn't know this, but I researched it and found out that a fig tree produces leaves before it has figs. Or no, I said that wrong. A fig tree has figs before it produces leaves. So if a fig tree has leaves, even though it wasn't time for the fig tree to have leaves, if it had leaves, it should have had figs. So this fig tree wasn't operating the way that Jesus created it to. You got to remember, he's the creator. He's the one that told them how to produce and how to do things. And this fig tree was a pervert. (laughs) This fig tree was not acting the way that God commanded it to act. And he was completely justified in dealing with this fig tree because this fig tree did not follow the instructions of the creator. And so he just spoke to it and he said, no man eat fruit of you hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And so then they went into the temple, into Jerusalem for the second time in his ministry, he cast the money changers out of the uh, temple. And then late that day, he walked back to Bethany and presumably he walked right the same way. It may have been late in the day. We don't know exactly the details, but it was the next day when his disciples saw this. And it says in verse 20, and in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Now this is important because in Matthew's account of this, I won't take time to read it. I think it's in the 21st chapter, but in Matthew's same account of this over there, it says when he cursed the fig tree and said, no man eat fruit of the immediately the fig tree died. And yet this says it was like 24 hours later that they saw that the fig tree was dead. How do you harmonize those two? The answer is that it was dried up from the roots. The moment Jesus spoke, that fig tree was dead. It died in the roots, but just like a flower, if you cut a flower, it'll look like it's alive for a period of time. You can put it in water and put sugar in it and make it look fresh for a period of time. But the moment you cut it off, it's dead. And that tree was dead the moment that Jesus spoke. So Matthew's account is right. And so is Mark's. It just, what happened below the surface in the roots wasn't visible until the next day. And as they walked by, they saw it and they were just amazed at this. And it says in verse 21, Peter calling to remembrance. Remember, it says that they heard Jesus say this to the fig tree. He said unto him, master, behold, the fig tree, which thou cursed is withered away. And we don't have the benefit of hearing the inflection of his voice. But I know Peter didn't go... Master of the fig tree, which you cursed is withered. It was more probably like, Jesus, look at this. This fig tree's dead. You didn't touch it. You didn't pour salt on it. You just spoke to it. And a miracle, the fig tree died by just words. He was shocked. 
And Jesus didn't just say, have faith, Peter. I believe it was more probably like, Peter, have faith in God. What's wrong with you? How long have you been my disciple and you're still shocked to see the power of God? And so he said unto him in verse 22, he says, have faith in God. And then he said this in verse 23, for verily I say unto you, the word verily means truly. Everything Jesus said was true. When he had to say, I'm telling you the truth, it's because he was about to say something that was so profound and so different that people would think he couldn't mean what he's saying. So he had to qualify and say, I'm telling you the truth. Listen, this is the truth. Verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. So there's four times in this verses, it, verse, it says he said unto the people, but then three times when he was talking to them, he said, whosoever shall say will have whatsoever he says if you don't doubt what you say. So Jesus here gave us a key on how faith works. Faith is released by words. God spoke the worlds into existence and said, let there be light. Let the earth bring forth. He spoke, he created everything. This whole universe, you and I were created by words. You know, I was just with Dr. Carl Baugh and it's a long thing, but he, he uh, cited a uh, project that was done at Berkeley where they actually took a certain frequency, a real, it was a boom box and they just played this loud frequency to a, a beaker full of water. And they had all of these instruments. And when they played this certain sound, there was one drop in the center of that beaker of water that superheated to, I forget, but it was like two or 3,000 degrees and it was insulated so that it didn't affect the rest of it. And it let out pure light. It just let out a beam of light. In other words, voice, sound, created light. God said, let there be light. And I don't know exactly how he did it, but when God said that light came from words and created life as we know it here on this planet, everything was created by words. Words are so much more powerful than what people know. And so if you want to see this kind of power that Jesus had, where he just spoke to the fig tree. He says, here's how you do it. You say to the mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea and doubt not in your heart, but believe that what you say comes to pass and you shall have it. Boy, there's a lot in this verse. I actually teach on this for two or three hours on this one verse. So I'm just skimming the surface on this, but here's one of the problems is most of us don't believe what we say. And you can prove that. Because you say you're going to be somewhere at seven o'clock and you don't get there till 710. Your words aren't important to you. You'll tell a person you'll do something and then you may or may not do it. Did you know if that's the way that you live? If you say that you're going to be at work at a certain time and you get there a minute, two minutes, five minutes late. If you say that you have a 10 minute break and you take a 15 minute break. You don't believe that your words are important. You don't hold things. You... The Bible says a godly man will swear to his own hurt and change not. I can guarantee you Jesus never told anybody he'd be someplace and then he showed up 10 minutes late. 
If that's the kind of person you are, you don't believe in your words. You don't believe your own words. Nobody else should believe your words. You'll say things like, oh man, this tickled me to death. And we use statements and phrases that you don't mean what you're saying. You don't believe you're dying. This scared me to death. You don't mean it. You say all kinds of things and don't mean what you say. You know, every time you do that, people think, well, that's not important. That's the reason you can't speak to a fig tree and see it die. It's because you don't even believe your own words. You have to say it and believe in your heart. And it takes time to train yourself and to renew yourself and get to where words are important. And it's not only your words that are important, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, uh, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Not only are your words important, but every word that you hear is either life or death. And most of us don't believe that. And that's the reason you watch shows where people say things that are lies. You listen to news that you know half of it that you're hearing is wrong. You, you watch things, you listen to things. And every time you do that, you convince your own heart that words aren't important. And then when it's time for you to release your faith and speak, your heart doesn't know the difference between those words and all of the other words that you don't believe. And it doesn't come to pass. That's, that's a big deal. Did you know what? If you're going to really operate in what Jesus said, if you're going to walk to the place that you can speak to the dead and see them raised, and you can speak to sickness and see it lead, and you can speak to poverty and you can speak to things, you know what? You are going to be a misfit in our society because our society doesn't believe this stuff. You cannot know all of the trivial questions. You cannot know all of the actors and be up on every movie and all of the sports. And you cannot be plugged into our world and walk in that supernatural power of God because our world doesn't believe that stuff. Thank you for that thunderous silence. And there's a lot of people that would just rather blend in than to stand out like a heel thumb. And um, so there's a lot of you that just will reject this because it's, this is too much. You'd have to be too strange. So you'd rather be sick and poor, etc. But you have to believe that what you say is going to come to pass. And here's another awesome truth. It says in uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of your tongue and those who love it will eat the fruit thereof. Man, that 20th verse also, the 20th and the 21st verse, I've taught on that for two hours at a time. There's a lot of things in those verses. You ought to go study it. But here's one of the great truths of God, that your words either produce life or death, not life or death and a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't matter. Every word that you speak and every word that you hear is either releasing life or death. It's releasing faith or unbelief. And most of us are being fed unbelief. I mean, we are baptized in unbelief. We have things spoken. The stuff you're hearing on the news, they prophesy stuff that is not true. They, they do everything in hype. They give you worst case scenario on and on. They, they just up the hurricane season that this is going to be one of the most destructive hurricane seasons. I don't know if that'll happen or not, but I can tell you, I've got statistics that for the last 
uh, I forget exactly, five or six years, they said these were going to be the most active hurricane seasons ever since Hurricane Irene. And did you know it's been the mildest hurricane seasons that we've ever had? They totally missed it. And yet you heard words that were lies. And when it doesn't come to pass, it confuses you and it makes you, you're listening to junk that's wrong. I was over in England when they said that the swine flu, the, the leading expert in England, the head of the British healthcare system, they asked him a question, is this swine flu something that could challenge humans and could mutate into something that could kill humans? And this, I, this is a quote. This was on October, I forget the exact date, but October of 2097, I believe it was. Or no, 1990, 2007 is what I'm trying to say. It was October of 2007. And he said, this is nearly a word for word quote. He said, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when, but this will mutate and it will become a pandemic. And one third of the world's population is going to die from avian flu. It might be one year's or two years at the most, but one third of the world's population will be dead. And that's when people started wearing these masks and doing all of this stuff. Two years later, I was back in England and I read that there had been a total of 12 deaths in humans worldwide. And yet they killed, I, I don't know if you guys, I think you were over there back then, and they piled up chickens, poultry, and burn. I mean, they had piles high, and you could see smoke all over England going up where they killed millions and millions and millions of these birds trying to eradicate this and do all of this stuff. And I mean, these dire predictions caused all kinds of problems and it was a lie. None of it was true. Didn't come to pass. And most people think, well, that's just wisdom. You think the worst case, you plan for the worst and hope it turns out better. No, what that is, is wrong. You are being told all kinds of stuff that's wrong. We are being systematically lied to because it sells paper. It gets the attention. And every time you listen to that stuff, it does something to your heart. And it tells your heart that, you know what? That wasn't true. This wasn't true. You just take things with a grain of salt and you get to where you don't believe in the power of words. But the Bible says death and life, not death and life and a whole bunch of other stuff. It's just either life or death. It's either true or it's untrue. And every word that you hear is either building you up and making you stronger or making you weaker. And most of us, it's making us weaker. And so if you want to release the power of God, you first of all got to believe that God placed it on the inside of you. You got to understand your righteous position that you have the power. And then the way you release it is with words. You start saying, Father, I think I cancel the negative things spoken over me that I'm going to die, that I'm going to be crippled the rest of my life, that I'm going to have to take this medicine the rest of my life. I break this in the name of Jesus. You got to cancel the negative words and then you got to start speaking positive words that by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. And you speak to your body and talk to it. In Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, it says, No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is of me, thus saith the Lord. 
Notice it says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper and every tongue that rises against you in judgment. There's a linkage there. Words are weapons. No weapon formed against you will prosper and every tongue, every weapon that is spoken against you, you shall condemn. It's a command that you have to condemn it. If you let people speak negative over you and don't condemn it, those words are seeds and they will immediately start growing. They will immediately start bringing forth negative things on the inside of you. When somebody speaks something negative over you, you ought to condemn it. And Jamie and I'll be listening to something and we'll, they'll say it's flu season. And I'll say, not for me in the name of Jesus. But most people will let this sewage of the world just run right through and it plants seeds. And then you wonder, why am I always the one that gets sick? Because you listen to all of this doubt and unbelief and you don't condemn it. You know, I had to go get a physical because my board wanted me to take out an insurance policy. I don't go to the doctors. You know, they say they have these things about go ask your doctor. I think who's got a doctor? The only time I've ever been to a doctor is because I had to go get this physical to get insurance for my board made me do it. So anyway, I was taking this uh, treadmill test and it's a long story. I won't go into all that, but they wanted to shave the hair off my chest. And I told them, I said, this is virgin hair. It's never been touched. And so they just strapped these things on my chest. And after I got to sweating and stuff, they started falling off. And so I was holding two of them. A nurse was holding two and the doctor was holding two. And I was running on this thing. And anyway, I witnessed to them and told them how my son was raised from the dead after being dead for five hours. And I was telling them about the power of God. And after we got through, they listened to all of this. And then this doctor got to looking at this chart and at the 12 minute and 32 second spot into it. He got to looking and then he started grunting and you know how doctors do mm, and he, he was doing this stuff. And then he took out this pad and he started writing this name down. And he says, you go over, this is a friend of mine. He's going to do another test on you and we may put you in the hospital and we may do open heart surgery on you today. You got a serious heart problem. You know what that was? That was a weapon formed against me. And I just looked at him for a second and kind of processed all of this. And then I said, that's a lie. (laughs) And this doctor, he looked at me. I guess he's not used to most people saying things like that. And I said, that that is not true. I do not have any heart problem. And he just looked at me and I said, you look at that piece of paper and tell me that that says I got a heart problem. He says, well, actually it doesn't. He says, everybody's heart's a little bit different. And you've only got one tiny spot that was one hundredth of something off right here. And he says, it's possible that you're perfectly healthy, but I think you ought to go get it checked. I said, that's not what you told me. You told me I had a serious heart problem and I got on this guy's case and I started condemning those words. And this guy just tore up that piece of paper and he says, you're fine. Get out of here. And uh, he failed me on that test and I couldn't get my insurance because of it. So I had another guy who's a doctor on my board and I went to him and they did a nuclear stress test and put this radioactive dye in my system and 
And I got through and he says, you got the heart of a 17 year old. And I told him about that other test. And he said, those treadmill tests are wrong 50% of the time. Don't ever base anything on one of those treadmill tests. I bet you there's people right in this room who've had a treadmill test and they told you something and you went on blood pressure medicine, you went on this based on that and you didn't sit there and take your authority and condemn it. I know some of you think, man, you're weird, but I think you're weird. (laughs) You have to condemn words. You got to recognize not only are your words important, but if something comes against your faith, speak against it. Say no in the name of Jesus. I condemn this. This is not what I'm believing for. You got to use words. And notice back in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, it says, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Now this is key. It's subtle. Most people don't pick this up, but Jesus said, you've got to speak to the mountain. Most people talk to God about their mountain. Oh God, I got this mountain of sickness, mountain of debt, mountain of fear, mount. Oh God, would you remove this? God did not tell you to talk to him about your mountain. He told you to talk to your mountain. Implied in that is that you understand your righteous position, that God has given you authority and Satan has to flee from you. And instead of you coming to God and saying, oh God, I am nothing and I have nothing. Could you please do something about the devil? No, instead you say, Father, thank you for who I am and what you've given me. And now I take my authority and power and Satan, mountain, problem, sickness, in the name of Jesus, get out of my life. And you go to fighting that and using your words to release the power of God. That is a totally different approach than coming and telling God how pitiful you are and how desperate you are. And would you please do something and begging and pleading and crying. And that's not faith. Amen. I know some of you have heard this, but I like this story so much. I'm going to tell it for myself. (laughs) But I went to Charlotte, North Carolina, where Pastor Darian Karen are from. And I went over, I was staying with this couple and they saw Nikki Oshinsky's video about how she was raised up from her deathbed after the doctor sent her home to die. And this woman was so blessed by watching that, that when I got home, she was just sitting there crying. And she says, I've got a friend with these same problems. Would you pray for her? And I said, sure. And she says, well, she's on her way over here. She'll be here in 10 minutes. She already had this lady coming. So anyway, this woman came in, it's a long story, but she had been diagnosed with, I don't know what the name of it was, but she had terrible pain. The doctor said on a scale of one to 10, she had a constant 11 for a pain and she had had it for like seven years. They said she couldn't live through the year, three years before. And the only way she was able to survive, she took magnets and taped them all over her body. And then she put magnets into a blanket and wrapped herself in it. And somehow these magnetic fields voided the pain or something. And that's the only way she'd survived. And she was basically invalid. She had to stay at home. She laid in bed nearly all the time. So anyway, she came over and I started talking to her and she says, well, God's got a purpose. God is sovereign. And I, so first thing I did was tell her, no, God didn't make her sick and God's not the one that did this. And I, I spent about 45 minutes countering all of her unbelief and telling her what the word says. And she was ready. And so she received it and she says, okay, I'll believe. So I prayed with her 
and I rebuked all that pain, commanded her to be well. And I said, now, how do you feel? And this woman sat there for a minute and then she stood up and she took off this blanket and she says, man, I feel good. There's no pain. First time in like seven years that she had been pain free. And she says, but I I have a burning, a stinging right here in my waist, right where her waist was in the back. She says, why do I have burning? I said, you didn't tell me you had burning. I talked to uh, pain. I said, watch this. And then I took my authority and I spoke and I commanded pain to leave her. And pain, I mean, the stinging totally left. And she was just praising God. And then I took Mark chapter 11, verse 23, the exact verse I've been teaching from. And I taught her about her words and how she had to take her authority and recognize she was the one that was righteous and she had power and she had to speak to her problem. And I taught her all of these things that I've been teaching here. And I spent about 20 minutes teaching her. And then she got ready to leave and she, she was just praising God. She walked towards the door and when she put her hand on the doorknob, she stopped and then she looked back and she says, the burning is back. And I said, well, I just spent 20 minutes teaching you how to do this. And so I said, I'm going to let you pray and I'll just agree with you. So I joined hands with her and I let her pray. And you got to remember that just 45 minutes before this, this woman was a Presbyterian. She believed that God had put this on her and she thought that God, you know, it was just up to him and that she, he was getting glory out of this. And I'd been countering this stuff. So considering where she came from, she prayed a pretty good prayer. And this is nearly word for word what she said. She said, Father, I thank you that it is not your will for me to be sick. You did not do this to me. And I know that by your stripes, I was healed. And so I claim my healing in the name of Jesus. That's not a good prayer. Those of you who just clapped, you showed that you don't understand what I've been preaching for the last 30 minutes. All of the things that were said were good. That's nothing wrong with what she said, but it is not what Jesus told her to do. She never took her authority and never spoke to the problem. She talked about how God is a good God and it's not God's will and he's provided healing. Those are good things to say, but it's not what he told her to do. Praying that way will not get you healed. And there are many of you that that's the way you pray and that's the reason you aren't healed. So when she got through praying, I looked at her and I said, so do you have any burning left? And she says, yes. Why do I still have burning? I said, you didn't do what the Bible told you to do. And she says, tell me again. And I said, you didn't talk to the burning. You didn't take your authority and command your body to respond and the burning to leave. And this woman looked at me and she says, you mean I'm supposed to say burning in the name of Jesus. I said, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. And she said, I'll do it. So I joined hands with her again and she goes, she got mad and she said, burning in the name of Jesus. And that's as far as she got. And she says, it's gone. (laughs) And that's been, that's been eight years ago or so. And I've seen her a couple of times and she had it come back and she had just talked to it and she's totally free to this day of all of those things. Man, that's awesome. See, all of this goes back to God by grace. He has all of this power. He has this ability, but it won't reign 
until you understand your righteous position and what God has done on the inside of you and you quit approaching him as I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. I can do nothing. God, would you please move? He's already moved. He put his life giving power on the inside of you. You're a brand new person and you're the one that's in control. You're the one with authority and power. Sickness doesn't have a right to come against you. Poverty doesn't have a right. Depression doesn't have any right in your life. You can resist that and you can make yourself rejoice in the Lord. In the first uh, Samuel chapter 30, David had been for 13 years frustrated. He had been anointed to be king and yet nothing went his way. Everything went bad. He was running for his life. His wife was taken away from him and given to another man. His father-in-law was trying to kill him and his own men were ready to stone him to death. It was a bad situation. And yet it says, David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. He called for the word and he inquired of God and he took the word and he built himself up and encouraged himself. That's what you've got to do. Instead of sitting there and saying, well, I feel bad. And instead of taking authority, just say, oh God, would you please touch me and change my feelings? God's not the one that made you feel bad in the first place. He's not the cause of your problem. You need to take it and say, according to Galatians 5, I have love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's what's in my spirit. And so if I've got it, I'm going to use it. And you just start praising God when you don't feel like praising God. You start thanking God when you feel like crying. Some people say, well, that's just hypocrisy. It depends on who you think is the real you. If you think this physical, emotional body that you get around in is the real you, then you're a hypocrite to act contrary to it. But if you believe you're a new creature in Christ Jesus and you got a brand new spirit and that in that spirit, you've got love, joy, and peace, then you're a hypocrite to act depressed when God has given you love, joy, and peace. It just depends on where your identity is. And that's the reason that we're having problems is because we don't know who we are in Christ. We don't understand righteousness and therefore grace isn't able to reign. Man, if you would get into the word and take the things I've talked about and begin to understand who you are in Christ and the authority and the power. And if you would take Jesus statements that, you know what, it's already done. You have power in your tongue. You got life in your tongue. Use it to speak life. You know, I've taught on this a lot. I'm sure many of you have heard me say this, but I've I've had thousands of people email me and write me and talk about it. It works. I started talking to my pain and telling it to leave. I spoke to my eyes. I commanded my ears to do this. It sounds weird. But you know what? I'm just convinced that God is the one that's right and we're the ones that are weird. The way we've been brought up is wrong. And we need to go by what the Word says. And we need to find out that we've got this authority and power. If you feel like this is crazy, I would never do that. Well, then don't criticize somebody who is doing it until you get better results. Amen? I tell you, this works. You need to find out who you are. And the good news is God wants you to know this more than you want to know it. So you don't, it's not something that's hidden from you. It's hidden for you. The Lord has these truths and the Holy Spirit is given to instruct us and to show us these truths. John 14, 26, when he, the Holy Spirit has come, 
the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, He will teach you all things and lead you into all truth and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've spoken unto you. You know, that's the reason I emphasize the baptism of the Holy Spirit so much. You cannot understand the Word of God with just your human brain. The Word is written to your heart. You have to receive it on a heart level. And I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. It makes perfect sense, but it's not natural human sense. It's not the sense of this world. For instance, the Bible says, give and it's given unto you. That makes perfect sense once you understand the kingdom and how it works. But this is crazy to the natural mind. But it's exactly the way the kingdom works. And there's just so many things. You've got to get into the Word of God and renew your mind and find out who you are. And if you could begin to change your identity and see who you are, and instead of approaching your problem as a mere man or woman who has no power, but you know God and you're going to beg God to do it. Instead, if you would believe that when you got born again, God made you a new creature and you're above only and not beneath. You're the head, not the tail. You're the one that's in control and that God gave you authority. And if you would start speaking to your problems and taking authority like that, you would find that grace, everything that God is and has would reign. It would rule. It would dominate your life. It would turn you around. If your life isn't supernatural, it's superficial. If you are born again, then you ought to be seeing some supernatural evidence of it in your life. I believe that. And I tell you, we got a lot of superficial Christians who I don't doubt that you're born again, but you just are in the process of singing about further along. We'll know all about it. When we all get to heaven, what a day that'll be in the sweet by and by. But in the rough now and now, you're just defeated. (laughs) And you need to get your mind renewed and start walking in victory in this life. The Lord said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You don't have to wait until you get to heaven to start experiencing victory. Now, our victory will be complete in heaven because for one thing, we aren't going to have any opposition in heaven. But there will be opposition. You have problems. I'm not saying that we don't ever have a problem, but I'm saying that you can overcome them. You can win. You can fight. You can resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And I believe in winning. Amen. Praise God. So I want to encourage you with that. This whole week has been talking about how to reign in life through righteousness unto eternal life. And if you'd receive the things that we've talked about, and walk in it. This has changed your life. It's changed my life. I believe it'll work for any person in here. You are a totally different person than what you think. I know you better than most of you know you because I know what the Word of God says about you. I know what you're really like in the Spirit. And you need to get to know you based on what the Word of God says. Amen? Amen. Father, I just pray for everyone here tonight. And we're asking you, Father, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we could see what you've given us, this exceeding greatness of your power that you've placed on the inside of us so that we could operate in it and rule and reign in this life. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we believe that the spirit of the Lord 
is in this place and touching people. I believe that seeds have been planted in our heart that are going to grow. And Father, I pray that people will never get over this. That Father, they won't be satisfied any longer with living a substandard life, but they'll begin to trust you and believe you. And even if they don't understand how to get it done, that they'll just get excited that they know they've got it. And that they will persevere until they receive. Father, we agree and we receive that. And thank you for doing that. I believe that this is going to be a life changer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I'd like to remind you that we've got CDs and DVDs of this entire conference back there. There, Within five minutes, tonight's will be finished. You need to get this and go over because you aren't going to hear this very often. There are other people that preach it, but there's not a lot of people. And you need to go over and over and over this. Amen. Also, if there's anybody here tonight who's not born again, or if you are born again, but if you've never received this baptism of the Holy Spirit, you need it. The Bible says that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to quicken your understanding so that you can read the Word with your heart and receive it. And this baptism of the Holy Spirit includes a lot of things, but it includes speaking in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, you need to come and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I prayed with one woman tonight before the service, and she got born again, and I told her specifically to come up so that she could receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, and I wanted to give her this book. So if you're one that needs either salvation and or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and this gift of speaking in tongues. I'd like you to raise your hand so that I can see it and pray for you. If you're like that, I want you to raise your hand. Man, here's a number of people over here. You know, we've had how many now? 182 people received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we aren't through yet. I believe we're going to go over 200. If you raised your hand... Or if you were supposed to raise your hand, would you just get up out of your seat, come forward and stand here and let me help you and pray with you and help you to receive. If that's you, I want you to come forward right now and let me agree with you and pray. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Just stand right here in the front, amen. Praise God. This is great. Awesome. This is a lady who got born again earlier. Isn't that great? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I tell you, I don't know how people make it without Jesus. Life's tough. And even with Jesus, it takes a lot of faith and a lot of effort to be able to overcome it. I just don't know. I guess the only way people make it is they don't know that they could do anything different. If they knew how easy it was to receive Jesus and get your life changed, man, I don't know why anybody would want to live without Jesus. Praise God. Awesome. 
All right, before I can pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have to be born again first. You have to know for sure that Jesus lives in your heart because the Bible says Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. Is there anybody down here who has never prayed and made Jesus your Lord? You've already done that tonight, so you don't need to do this. Is there anybody else that needs to do this and make sure that Jesus is your Lord. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand because I have to pray with you before you can receive the Holy Spirit. Here's a lady right here. Anybody else? Here's another one. Anyone else? Are you sure? You know, we've had, I forget, about maybe 15, 20 people receive salvation this week and I bet you that at the first request there was probably only maybe six or seven. And the others, I just kept saying, are you sure? Are you sure? And finally, people raised their hand. I'm not trying to talk you out of your faith with the Lord, but there's just so many people that they're hoping that they say. They assume that they're saved because they're a decent person. That's not salvation. You have, to, you, there, you have to come to a place where you come to the end of yourself and you turn your life over to God and make Him Lord. It says in Romans 10, 9, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that doesn't mean that you'll be perfect and never fail, but it means you're turning your life over to Him. You want to live for Him. You'll fail. You won't be perfect. There is forgiveness, but you have to be willing to make a commitment of your life to the Lord. Is every person here done that? Do you know for sure? If you were to die and stand before God right now, Do you have the assurance that he would accept you or do you just hope that he would? The Bible says that you have a witness in yourself and you know that you pass from death unto life. Anybody else besides these two ladies? Anyone else? You just need to make sure. Amen. You need to make sure. Here's another one down here. Anybody else? Here's another one down here. See, we more than doubled the number of people going to pray because some of you just were assuming. You don't need to assume. You need to believe. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I would like to have you repeat after me and I'd like to ask everybody in here to pray this with me so that they won't feel like we're just listening to them. And this isn't magic. You have to believe it. But if you will say these words and believe it in your heart, then you will instantly be changed. Isn't that good news? Isn't that awesome? So let's say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive that you now live in me. I am forgiven. I am saved. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Do you believe that? Awesome. Man, that's awesome. You know what? You are a totally brand new person right now. On the outside, you still look like you did before. But you know what? On the inside, the Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And now every person down here has prayed this. And according to the word, you are all the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means that in the Spirit, He created you as a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. 
So he's not going to deny giving you the Holy Spirit. This is what you were created for. He wants this more than you want it. God has been working a long time to get you to this place, to to up here to the front so that you could receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. He wants you to have it more than you want to have it. So we aren't going to beg. We aren't going to plead. We're just going to pray a simple prayer and just open up the doors of our temple and welcome the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And I guarantee you, He's going to come flooding into your life right here tonight. Y'all believe that? Awesome. And I'm going to ask our prayer ministers to come up here. These are people that have already received the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that when the apostles laid hands on people, they received the Holy Spirit. So you can release, transfer the Holy Spirit by laying hands on people. So I'm going to lead you in this prayer. And then these people behind you are going to lay hands on you and release the power of the Holy Spirit into your life. And at that moment, when they lay hands on you, I want you to believe that you receive right then. And after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking God to get the Holy Spirit and instead believe that He did what He said He would do. It says in Luke eleven thirteen, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He promised that He'd give it. So we're going to ask. They're going to lay hands on it. And then I want you to thank God that He gave you the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you feel like. I want you to start thanking Him. And at that time, after they lay hands on you, I want you to lift your hands like this. Because the Bible says when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. This blesses God. It's like saying, I surrender. Like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you just go, I surrender. This is your way of saying, God, I give, I yield. And so I want you to lift your hands after they lay hands on you to lift your hands and start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. And then those of us who have the baptism of the Holy Spirit are going to start praying in tongues because the Bible says when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks well. 1 Corinthians 14, 17. So we're going to start giving thanks for God filling you with the Holy Spirit by praying in tongues. And as we start praying in tongues, I want you just to join in with us and start speaking in tongues. Amen? I know some of you are saying, how do you do this? I've got a book that I'm going to give you and it'll answer all of these questions. I'm not going to take a lot of time, but let me just say one thing. The number one thing that held me back and that I find stops most people if they don't speak in tongues is the fact that they just think that the Lord is going to take control and force you to talk in tongues. That's not how it works. The Bible says in Acts 2, 4, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. He inspires you. You do the talking. It's you talking. It's not the Holy Spirit talking. It's you talking, but it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's like I spoke tonight. I believe that God spoke through me. I believe God used me tonight and spoke through me. But if I would have just opened up my mouth and said, oh God, use me, and then wait on God to make me talk, nothing would have ever gotten said. I spoke. That's the reason it came out in Texan. That's the reason it came out with my sense of humor and my personality. It was me talking, but I believe God used it and spoke through it. That's the way speaking in tongues is. It is you talking, but it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And once you get over the newness of it 
and quit listening to yourself and you start doing it in faith and do it over a prolonged period of time, you'll find out it just flows out of you. And you can speak in different languages and it will be inspired by the Holy Spirit. But you have to take a step of faith and begin to speak. Everybody understand that? So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. They're going to pray for you, lay hands on you, and then you're going to lift your hands and start thanking God And then they're going to thank God in in tongues. And as we start speaking in tongues, you switch from English to thanking Him in tongues. And you're just going to, by faith, let this flow out of you. Y'all ready? And I know many of you think, what's the purpose of this? I've got a book that will explain it to you, but that's all i got time for right now. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you, Father, for these that got born again tonight. Thank you that in our spirit, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are brand new. We were created to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Father, we now come and we want the power of the Holy Spirit. We want the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want this gift of being able to speak in tongues and bypass our brain and pray right out of our born again spirit. Pray in a heavenly language. We want everything that you have for us. So we open up our heart right now and we welcome you, Holy Spirit to come into this dwelling place and live in us and speak through us. We welcome you in Jesus' name. We lay hands on you now in the name of Jesus and say, receive the Holy Spirit. We loose the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come into your life right now and just deliver you and set you free. Father, we thank you for it. And now we lift our hands, Father, and we give you praise and thanks. And thank you that you have filled us with the Holy Spirit. Regardless of what we feel like, we believe your promise. And we believe that we are now filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's begin to pray in tongues right now and worship the Lord so that these won't feel like we're listening to them. And as we speak in tongues, just join in with us and speak. You have to speak. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. Don't shake your head no. Shake it yes, 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 yes. You've got the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you say, but your tongue will be different than theirs. It'll be unique to you. You can't say what they're saying. It'll come out differently. But if you start trying to say what they're saying, it comes out differently. Just keep speaking. You can use that to get started, but just speak now and by faith believe that it's the Holy Spirit. Some people think, well, mine doesn't sound like a real tongue. You know, when a little baby first starts speaking, it's not fluent. It doesn't sound like daddy or mama. But man, that parent knows what that baby's saying. Yours may not be real fluent right now, but your father is hearing your voice. God is listening to you. This is maybe one of the first times in your life you've prayed from your spirit and not from your brain. And you are worshiping God in spirit and in truth. God is listening to you. It doesn't matter what it sounds like. Just worship the Lord. Let's pray in tongues right now and glorify Him. The Bible says you build up yourself on your most holy faith when you pray in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. 
media oro sin de la macamba royalantama. Just be, be bold. Cora be maludin ke ikara sambala non comprontona. Eshele vi kaharambo cobra sin de la mayorona macandi. Ine mariono son macabra barela nama. Speak out. So talk loud enough to hear yourself. Aninke kara salamamro yoro mamro ishike la maporona ma. You don't know what you're saying, but your heavenly Father does. I guarantee you, He is thrilled. The Holy Spirit is allowing you to get beyond yourself and to speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for giving all of these the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for speaking through them. Hallelujah. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But we want you to get the maximum benefit out of this. And I promise you that even if you spoke in tongues, you got more than what you realize. This is more than just a feeling. It's more than something you just do for a moment or two. This is a life-changing experience. This could be the most important thing that's ever happened to you since you've been born again. But you've got to understand it to get the full benefit. So I've written a book about it. Also, there may be somebody up here who didn't speak in tongues or you aren't sure that it was you speaking in tongues. You may wonder, was that just me? I've got a book that answers all of these questions. It took me three and a half years to speak in tongues after I asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But that's because I was a Baptist. And I'd been told that this was of the devil. And I had so many fears about it that I just struggled with it. But I finally got them answered. And I speak in tongues a lot. And I tell you, I've seen miracles happen through speaking in tongues. So I've written all of this stuff in a book. And if you have any questions about it, even if you didn't speak in tongues, it'll answer your questions. It'll tell you how to do it. And we want every one of you to receive this book. Also, for those of you who got born again, it explains what true salvation is. And you need to understand that to have the full benefit of it. So I'd like every one of you to go with Robert, if you would. We've got a room right over there. And if you would follow Robert, the man that's got his Bible up in the air right here, he's going to take you over there. They will give you this free book. They will answer any questions. They will pray with you. They'll help you any way they can. And we want you to be never the same because of this. Amen. I believe it's going to be a life changer. God bless you all. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. You're welcome. God bless you all. I believe you're going to be stronger than horseradish. Amen. God bless you, brother. Hallelujah. Well, that's definitely more than 200 people this weekend who received the baptism and maybe 20 people or so that got born again. Isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
This is our last opportunity to pray with you. And you know, some of your faith may have been quickened. Maybe you understood something tonight about the power of words, believing that you receive when you pray, speaking to the mountain instead of talking to God about your mountain. Maybe you're able to direct your faith better than you were before. And you could come and agree with somebody and we could see results. So if you need prayer for anything tonight, I'd like to ask you to just come forward right now. Come and let one of our prayer ministers agree with you and pray for you. We've got people standing at the aisles that are going to kind of direct you towards a person. So please cooperate with them. And the rest of you, we started our service an hour early tonight because my crew, it takes them three or four hours to pack up everything and load it into the semi and get ready to go. And so that's the reason we started early and it helps if y'all leave. (laughs) So thanks for coming. We're glad you're here. Now leave. Amen. And make sure you get to CDs and DVDs and all of that stuff. God bless you. Thanks for coming. You're dismissed.